Well, welcome to a full After Hours. Over the last uh, few weeks, I've been telling you, me being Rick Kogan, that uh, my pal, Ray Long, who has written one of the great political books in the history of this crazy uh, political state, the house that Madigan built, the record run of Illinois' Velvet Hammer, uh, we planned to be on, and the show would get canceled. We planned to be on again. Then we were going to do an hour, and one of the most amazing things that ever happened in radio, <laughs> Ray wound up that day being on for five minutes. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm hoping it was a good five minutes. Well, yeah. this, this book is just uh, is tremendous, Ray. We're going to talk uh, about your career in newspapers. We're going to talk a hell of a lot about uh Mike Madigan and Springfield and your feel you've known, you know, all the governors that everybody knows and is famous for. How and why did you become a reporter, Ray Long? I think I was probably I got hooked in the Watergate era when, you know, just when it was happening in the 70s. And when I saw what reporters could do and uncover and hold people to the truth i it really resonated with me and i i'm still one of those guys that actually believes in the corny notion that there is an eternal pursuit for the truth and so that's what hooked me where'd you grow up what'd your parents do and where'd you grow up oh man i grew up in a small town in winchester illinois it's about 60 miles west of springfield my dad was the principal of my grade school. Okay. My mom taught uh, blind and multiply handicapped uh, kids. At, uh, oh, interesting. And she taught them uh, physical education. So it was a real challenge for her. And she was, you know, a caring person. She had been a teacher um, at, uh, teaching PE in uh, a regular public school for a while. And it was uh, in Jacksonville. And she was actually in the in the 50s and um had been setting up a uh, deal where they the whole class could go out to the movies and then she heard that half of her class was not going to be able to sit on the first floor because the other half was african american so um she would she refused to to uh, do it if they all couldn't have the same equality, the equal privilege. Oh my God! What an inspiring story. Yeah, she was. Uh, <laughs> she was a good person. I got to believe that when you, uh, when you were in college, I suppose, said, "Hey, mom and dad, I want to be a reporter." <laughs> uh, that they didn't say, "Well, that's a, for a newspaper. That's crazy. They're going to be newspapers." <laughs> I have to. I have to think, Ray, that they were supportive. You know they they were. I think they were a little leery. They weren't sure what it all meant or what it what it could turn out to be. And I think they wanted me to be a lawyer or some uh, business person who could make a lot of money. And uh, yeah, same with out. my parents. Same with my parents. <laughs> you want to do what? Uh, one of the things at the time, even being inspired by by uh, Watergate. And that kind of reporting you found uh, very early on was not that dramatic. And uh, sure. Robert Redford was not walking around the city room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, there were a lot of times I had to cover the uh, when I was working for the Peoria Journal Star. I had to cover. Was the, that your first job out of college? It was my first full time job. I was an intern with the Alton Telegraph covering uh, the state legislature. Uh, but the I went full time into Peoria, you know, and I'd have to cover of Kickapoo Count, Township Council, you know, so it was, uh, <laughs> it yeah, not, was a... Nothing romantic. Like yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
But there was obviously, I mean, obviously something hooked you uh, early on, even in, you know, the, the water reclamation sure, and sure. everything else. Sure. Wanting to know what's going on, uh, wanting to tell people about what's going on and tell people things that they should know and that a lot of times they wouldn't know if you were out there. Uh, not really working it, but you really have to work it to find the stories that people need to know and that people find out that's what they want to know, too. What about the writing is, uh, and I want to talk at length about uh, your first book because it is uh, it's an incredible narrative, ladies and gentlemen. You may say to yourself, well, I don't want to read about t- <laughs> taxes and I don't want to read about pensions. I, it's just so beautifully written and it's a lot longer than any news story uh is but in writing news stories did you feel comfortable as a writer ray well sure was it hard i i do uh get used to and i'm definitely used to by now the idea that uh, you have to be objective when you're writing right down the middle and uh explaining to people what's happening and what's What's going on, and who's doing what, and who's doing what to whom, and and who's uh, you know coming out ahead, etc. But um, it, it was a shift. There was definitely a shift when I went to this uh, book. Let me ask you too: when you're writing, you're downstate. You have a familiarity with downstate, mm-hmm. and sort of in getting more familiar with downstate politics as you're doing your sure. job. Did you look at Chicago? Chicago at the time was one wild right. political scene. Right. Probably at the time, four daily newspapers up here, and some incredibly famous, admirable journalists. Absolutely, you know, yeah. Royko Mabley. I mean, yeah. just yeah. on and on. And Kogan. Co- well, not quite yet. Uh, Co- <laughs> yeah, you can put Kogan in the crowd with Jay McMullen and Harry <laughs> Golden Jr. Uh, yeah. Uh, did you aspire to that, or were you happy? Covering, you know what I mean, yeah, Ray. It's, yeah. it's uh, I, I wanted to play in the bigger leagues. Yeah. yeah, there's no doubt about it. But I knew I had a lot to learn, and it was an incredible education to be working. Uh, first of all, like I said, I, I spent six months in an internship through the Public Affairs Reporting Program at what is now the University of Illinois at Springfield, and. That was invaluable. I mean, there are sources that I still have today that I picked up back then, you know, 40 years ago. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. And then uh, going to Peoria and working all the local beats, it was an incredible education because you're spending time. You learn how court files work. You learn how to cover, you know, a DUI. You learn how to cover a police beat. You learn how, how to think where you should be going next and what you should be looking for in an interesting way what you did was kind of a do-it-yourself city news bureau yeah right yeah yeah that's city right news bureau, the famous training ground in chicago sure. for reporters for years was there any at the time because i know there especially for young journalists and you and i are older now but i remember even in this business journalists would come into the business and say Yes, I'll do this for a little while, and then I'll write a column. And I, oh, and I yeah. want to say, no, no, that's not the way this works, yeah. children. Yeah. There was a joy in 
that nitty-gritty reporting, wasn't there? Right, right. There definitely was. I mean, you walk in and you think, well, you know, I was an intern. I wrote 175 stories about the General Assembly. You know, I, I should be writing for the New York Times or something like <laughs> right, that. Right. But if you get uh, a dose of reality real, real fast, and you realize that you're not ready for that, you need to grow. One of the other things about that era in newspapers, and I think it still exists, it's often weird now to talk about newspapers yeah talking yeah. about the media ladies and gentlemen the tribune is a, a ink on paper publication but it's also online and we may or may not get into that uh, ray long and i but it was also a time when a young reporter could be mentored right one of the great i think joys and one of the things that certainly guided me and inspired me was the reporters were not loath to share what they knew it was kind of a don't you think well, yeah, it was kind yeah. of a real wonderful learning process yeah and i've noticed too over the years that as i try to to reach out and help people sure some of them are resistant now and i'm wondering what is that all about yeah, what's you your know? angle mr long what's <laughs> yeah. your angle why you why would you try to help me but i i think it was a hallmark of those days i mean yeah, people, yeah. people like our mutual friend rick pearson will tell right. you the same thing right and i think there are a few of us who <laughs> that haven't been fired or let go or laid <laughs> off who still try to do that but you're right it's a different kind of thing when did you come to the sun times i came in 1990 i had spent uh and i just want to go back to the, my days in peoria when you we go talking anywhere about, you want this is not a five-minute interview <laughs> you go wherever you want ray long well when you're talking about mentors i i can't go on without saying um singing the praises of a guy named bill o'connor o'connell who was my mentor in peoria and he also was a mentor for rick pearson too yeah. he was the dean of the of the press corps in the state house and uh you know and there were others out there too who were helpful you know when you needed some kind of advice or perspective or something even though it was a cutthroat business oh my god at the time and we'll talk about that too yeah. i mean the scene in in springfield when he went down to cover it for a big time newspaper right. was it it you won't believe this, ladies and gentlemen, but it was really cutthroat. This oh, yeah. was not just a bunch of people saying, oh, I'm going to tweet something and get a scoop. It was <laughs> it was cutthroat. I'm spending, thank God, finally this entire hour with Ray Long talking about his remarkable book, The House That Madigan Built, The Record Run of Illinois' Velvet Hammer. We'll take a little commercial and we'll continue on all the way until 6 o'clock. Welcome back. Rick Kogan talking to this hour, Ray Long, about his amazing book, The House That Madigan Built, the record run of Illinois' Velvet Hammer, a man that sometimes to some people seems kind of inscrutable uh, and now in trouble. But this is the definitive book about this, uh, I, I find, compelling and complex uh character we are doing the history of ray long and we now got him up to chicago now <laughs> working for the sun times what the sun times hire you to do i came in to, to cover uh, cook county that was at the end of the george dunn era mm -hmm. and uh, richard phelan the beginning of the sure. richard phelan uh, period and then i switched over uh, after a few months actually i switched over to a city hall and covered richard m daly and the his first re-election campaign back with uh, Judge Pincham, et cetera. It's easy to get, uh, this happened to me, it's easy to get really hooked on the vitality and craziness of Chicago. 
politics. Absolutely. Were you as a downstater and having some experience down there, were you drawn back to Springfield? How did that – I mean, because it's, it's, it's pretty busy up here. Yeah, it's a it, – it's interesting because there's two perspectives in this state, really. The downstate Springfield is it. You know, that's where everything comes together. That's this great uh, idea factory where you have big, big city politics and suburban politics and rural politics fighting for different uh, ideals. And, you know, you see it in gun issues and mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. hunters want to have it one way and folks in the city want to have it another way suburbans kind of in between and you see it all play out in different ways but it, it's this great montage of ideas that just keeps cranking out down there and what i what you see in chicago is more rock'em sock'em uh sure There is Rock'em Sock'em in Springfield, and um, when reporters from other states have come in, they'll go, my gosh, this is the wildest debate I've ever heard, and it's just kind of a routine ramble that we're not even going to probably report on, right? But, but, uh, you know, Chicago is, uh, when I was up in the press corps in City Hall, it it seemed to be heavily quote-driven. You know, somebody would say something, then there would be a fight over what somebody else's position was and and uh uh, there was less nitty-gritty and in springfield there's more how does this bill work and why is it supposed to do this and who will it impact etc the personalities involved uh you when you have covered uh, the governors who have come through this uh through this state and many of whom wound up in in prison uh Rod has to stand out to you as a major, if not lunatic, uh, a major uh, colorful character. What did you think of him, Ray Long? Because asking you these questions, and much of this stuff is in the book, The House That Madigan Built, but you have a a rare perspective, and you're such a thoughtful, thoughtful guy. (laughs) No, it's, it's rare and articulate. What did you think of Rod Blagojevich? Well, I thought he was probably one of the best campaigners on the stump. He was uh, he could be amazing on that and he could wow a crowd. I remember I went on a bus trip with him through western Illinois and there were people there standing in uh, places like Monmouth. A guy came up and he was strumming a guitar, and he had written a song about Rod Blagojevich. <laughs> and now uh, you go up to Galesburg, and people were just, you know, you could see the amazement in their eyes when they were listening to him, you know, telling about the things that he had accomplished along the way. And, of course, you know, the thing that he was able to to benefit from was that he was the first Democratic governor for years. So, yeah. Yeah. so there was a big shift in, in uh, what was happening. But he also uh, was not a straight shooter, and it was it was evident from early on. And he his people would have to have all of their statements. You know, a lot of times you can just call up to a spokesman, get a comment from any governor or city hall person uh, who is the chief spokesman, and this time it would be like hours, and sometimes you wouldn't even get a call back, you know. Mm. I remember having to call like to 10 or 12 times one time. And also, I could run up when the guy was uh, uh, 
you know, in trouble. I could run up and be shouting questions in his ear, and he'd just walk right by me with a big smile on his face. And he he also uh, was the kind of guy who would try to avoid reporters in Springfield. Uh, he would rather stand in front of the TVs in Chicago, say what he had to say, and then scoot away. Yeah. But um, he was opening up doors in the Capitol to escape from us that weren't opened for years, you know. Mm. And so he'd scamper through the basement to avoid us, literally. How uh, early did you meet Mike Madigan? No, well, and I mean, you, you observed obviously Mike for for some time, and then finally yeah. finally met him. You tell me that story. And I'm going to find this incredible quote where you uh, again. It's from uh, Ray Long's astonishing book, "The House That Madigan Built." Uh, I can't really remember the time that I first met him because uh, he was always around and accessible uh-huh. early on, and and I was. Uh, an intern in 81 so it's not like i i could run up and grab him at any time because i was a downstate paper etc but he was minority leader back then too right right so he wanted to be somebody then too this is before he had ever become speaker and so he was still relatively young and he he was leading the troops the opposition party george ryan was speaker at that time and so he was a fiery guy, and he was not the kind of cool, uh, the, you know, standoffish guy. Yeah, yeah, right. You write in the book, and again, ladies and gentlemen, this book is um, quite something. Uh, in person, Madigan thrived on an intimidating ice blue glare. Less well-known is that he often acted with the dry wit or aloofness of a shorter version of a Clint Eastwood movie character. He came off in news reports, talk shows, and sound bites as a cross between Dirty Harry and the old man in Gran Torino. But on the floor of the Illinois House, particularly in his later years, his demeanor became more measured. Did Madigan fascinates you, Ray Long? I think he's probably the most fascinating politician in Illinois um, because he was always working an angle. And he had built uh, himself and all of his acolytes had built him into this kind of mythical figure. And once you're in power... you will do things and you could actually be making mistakes and people will say well that's how madigan wanted it to go you know and it was just uh to the point where which makes him in some level a difficult person to cover as a right, reporter right yeah. right but uh, there were there were a lot of people who knew him and knew what is was happening and you could get the interpretation that way too he did hold press conferences he did uh talk to especially the the state house press corps so we saw him and could interrupt him or you know catch him in between hearings or sometimes off the floor and sometimes he just wouldn't talk to you sometimes he didn't want to talk to you sometimes he was mad at the way you wrote his story and he just walked right how would by he you. express that anger i mean in, <laughs> well in a quiet way if you wrote something yeah that he, he, he let's say did not agree with yeah, very yeah, long yeah how would he express that or would he let you know through It'd be that ice blue glare, you know, or uh, one time I got on to an elevator elevator with him, um, just him and me, right after a story that he wasn't particularly fond of, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but I was asking him, asking him some sort of question, and he just... 
hit the button on the elevator and uh, wouldn't uh, wouldn't do anything else. He wouldn't answer or anything. So <laughs> more fascinating stories about the relationship between Ray Long and uh, Mike Madigan coming up after the news. Again, the book is the house that Madigan built. We'll discuss with Ray how he went about building that that house and saving the White Sox, too. So uh, please stay tuned after the news. Welcome back. I'm uh, with Ray Long. We are doing an entire hour. We have about half on that left. You, Ray Long, have written this remarkable book about Mike Madigan. Uh, let's talk about, because I think a lot of people forget this, and uh, it's hard to believe that in a sports-obsessed world we live in. Uh, there, Chapter 2 of the book, ladies and gentlemen, that you should buy, you can buy it anywhere, uh, is called The White Sox Miracle. Ray, what is the White Sox? I know, but what is the oh. White Sox Miracle? You know, this is going to take a couple of minutes, man. <laughs> man well, well, you were on once for five minutes on the radio. We got time. Yeah, well, um, it was it was 1988, and uh, the owners of the Sox were talking about going to Florida, and it looked like they were headed that way. Florida had offered a good deal, and uh, they were given – Springfield a chance to top it and what happened was back then it was June 30th was the deadline and after June 30th at midnight you would it would take a three-fifths vote there was no way any any way they could get that to pass uh, Sox legislation so uh, Thompson comes in about four o'clock he'd been out on an event on June 30th and He's looking around at his staff, and he says, why the glum faces? And they say, well, I don't think we're going to get this Sox bill through at all. And he goes, no, this is not going to happen. He says, I'm going up to Pate Phillips' office. And he goes up there on the Senate side. Pate Phillips was minority leader. And um, he uh, started talking to Thompson. Thompson says, you know, I need this one. We can't have Chicago become a one-baseball team town. And so uh, Peyton and Thompson start calling Republicans in who had been opposed, and they started bringing them in one at a time, and they started changing their position on it. Well, this went on for a while, and uh, Phil Rock was the Senate president, the Democrat, and he wanted to, to pass the bill, too, and they had some shaky votes over there. But they uh, finally got the bill up on the board about 11 o'clock or so on you know, and remember that midnight deadline yeah, is yeah, important. Yeah. So they're debating and debating, and Tim Dignan, who was the uh, senator over the Sac Stadium area there, the Daily Buddy and and Eleventh uh, Ward, uh, you know, icon in that era, was uh, standing up and saying, "You know, it's the last of the night. We need everybody to come on board." And they finally got 30 votes, and they passed it. They needed 30 votes. They got 30 votes. Thompson leaps up and rises across the rotunda through the big crowd of lobbyists, and they open the great big wooden doors in the House, and he's got spotters out there standing over lawmakers who could be persuadable on the Republican side. Madigan, at the other other side, has a sheet of of, uh, lawmakers that he's looking at, too, to see who he could go desk to desk with. So they're going desk to desk, desk to desk. The roll call's coming up. You know, 20 minutes is not a lot of time. And they've got a speaker, um, acting speaker, Peg Breslin, who was from Ottawa, and she was downstate, and she was against it. So 
Majority Leader Jim McPike comes up, takes the gavel away. He's a military-trained guy, and he's Mike Madigan's number two guy. And uh, he's got the gavel, and the clock is ticking down, and there was a, a radio reporter who was giving play-by-play. I mean, oh, this was so yeah, intense sure. that um, uh, he was actually going, you know, Thompson is out there twisting arms. He's talking to this person, and Madigan's over on the other side. They seem to be cutting deals right out there. And this is just a really an intense moment, and the clock is ticking down, and, and uh, McBaron is going, you know, hey, uh, there's not much time left. We're not. They're five or six votes short. And then finally, McPike says, "Okay, clerk, take the record." And usually, that is followed immediately with a gavel that comes down, and then they'll that'll be the vote. Well, they, it came down, and it was still five or six votes short. And everybody's thinking, "Oh man, it's it's dead." dead. But then McPike starts going. Uh, so-and-so lawmaker, would you like to change your vote? And, and then, <laughs> then yes. Then it, the vote keeps going up. So-and-so lawmaker, so-and-so. A couple of guys from Peoria were, were – one was a Democrat, one was a Republican. Neither wanted to go first, and they were saying, you go first. No, I'll go first. And then they jumped in, and they gave their votes. It came down to – uh, 59 votes, and the Charlie McBaron is saying, you know, I don't know what clock they're using here, but <laughs> it seems to be very close to midnight. And by then, the Democrats had disabled the clock. So I was up there on the floor, and I'm looking up at it. Instead of numbers ticking off, it was just unrecognizable flashes of light that were coming up so we have all this going down and thompson's waving over one guy named jim stang he's a republican on a suburban republican and mcpike is like a a quarterback looking for that wide receiver to be open 40 yards down the field with like three seconds left on the clock he calls over to stang stang says i changed my vote pandemonium breaks out then oh. you know we've got people who were singing na 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 they thought it was over the florida broadcasters are going socks are coming to florida the socks are coming to florida and uh, you'd even heard on charlie's uh, broadcast that sharp sound you know when at the top yeah. of the hour you know so uh, others were given that New Year's Eve type of thing where it says five, four, three, and it, but uh, Thompson sees that sixty come on the board and he's practically levitating off the house floor, <laughs> and he comes over to a scrum of reporters and we're going, hey, it's after midnight. He goes, no, it's not. It is. It's not. It's, it is. It's like it's last, not. last call at a bar. Yeah, yeah right, yeah. right, right. Exactly. And then he says, you know, the speaker said it was eleven fifty nine, and no court in the land is going to overturn that we go somebody asked madigan you know and he says well it was 11 59 on my watch so so then we go running up and get the uh clerk roll call the official roll call and it says 1203 so it had been passed and then madigan's staff freaks out about that and and grabs a uh, roll calls and starts whiting out the 1203 but they forgot to white out july 1 so, so on the one time when it, you know it actually matters what time something passes yeah, exactly you don't know what time it passes but uh, so, you know, it went to court, and uh, it stood up, and uh, it even uh, was brought up in, in, by a judge in Florida who said, you know, there's only two times in recorded history where 
time has stood still. Once was in the Judeo-Christian Bible, and the other was in the minutes of the Illinois House. (laughs) Well, you do a remarkable job. You just listen to that story. It's worth buying the book for Chapter 2. There are dozens of, of, I think, equally exciting uh, stories in... uh, Ray Long's book, The House That Madigan Built. Your old friend, uh, Charlie Wheeler, wrote a a wonderful foreword, and I want to read something he wrote in that, and then we'll talk about that after a short commercial break. Uh, This book, ladies and gentlemen, is the definitive. You just heard that unbelievably lively (laughs) story. This is a man, Ray Long, who who breathes life into what many of us think of as a dry, you know, political realm, that realm in Springfield. But Charlie Wheeler says near the end of his uh, his fine foreword in the book, bottom line, in my opinion, Madigan has been a positive force for the state of Illinois. Ray Long and I will discuss that. I'm going to have Richard Reeder, who's my next guest, ask Ray a question or two. And we'll be back in about three minutes. Welcome back. I have just a few more minutes with uh, with my friend, colleague, Ray Long, and the author of The House That Madigan Built, the record run of Illinois' Velvet Hammer. We could have, our last interview that we had on this show was five minutes long. <laughs> uh, this one is much more substantial, and I think, uh, for you, much more entertaining. Ray knows this scene of uh, politics in the state of Illinois better than anybody I know. Our buddy Rick Pearson also knows it. Yes, but, yes. But... But uh, there are very few. Charlie Wheeler does. There are a few. Uh, but this is Ray's first book. Uh, and I, I wanted just a quick thing. It, Mr. Wheeler, in his foreword, writes, Bottom line, in my opinion, Mike Madigan has been a positive force for the state of Illinois. Ray Long, do you agree? I think that there are positive things that he did and there are now things that are questionable. And so you have to look at really both sides and you know that's how i look at things too and um i'm not going to take a position on where mike madigan comes down on the pantheon of politics in illinois i think we all will have a better idea when we see how this court case plays out indeed indeed richard reader who is a talented author who's going to be on talking about this wildly inventive book the curious (laughs) odyssey of rudolph bloom uh in a few minutes, you know, you, you were impressed. This is Ray's first book. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it, it is, Ray, it's so much different writing a newspaper yeah. story than yeah. it is a book. It goes yeah. without saying. Yeah. Richard, you haven't read the book, but you're, you're aware of the, the... Yeah, well, just the story about the White Sox and the last minute and, and the clock, you know, the, the, the time standing still. So it's politics as theater. Yeah, it's theater of the absurd. I like to think of it. (laughs) Politics of the theater of the absurd. The one thing I wanted to ask you, Ray, was um, this. So you had uh, Michael Madigan's daughter, uh, Lisa Madigan, as the state of Illinois attorney. The attorney general mm-hmm. was it for two terms or four terms? Four actually. terms. Yeah. Four terms. So what's that? Six, Sixteen years. Yes. Sixteen years. Um, talk about that, and 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 do you think that uh, some of the things that are coming out right now about Michael Madigan? Do you think some of those things somehow were? Um, Why buried or ignored? (laughs) Were ignored under uh, Lisa Madigan's tenure? It's hard to say how much she knew or what she 
didn't know or whether she knew anything at all, really. I do think that um, she had been a rising star, first with the help of her father and with continual help of her father. Uh, But uh, she could have taken on Pat Quinn in 2010 once he had stepped in for only a couple of years uh, after Rod Blagojevich was impeached. Uh, She uh, could have taken on Pat Quinn in 2014. Um, And I think a lot of people had thought that she was queued up for that. Uh, She had been raising money at a a clip faster than Quinn, too. Um, And it looked like to me that... um, you know the the time was was right if you were going to take on a sitting governor but i think that uh, mike madigan who had lived through the 76 uh election where they had hallett run against um mike hallett the secretary of state run against governor dan walker both democrats in the primary they beat each other up and then thompson went on to win four straight terms as mm-hmm. governor so I think that Mike Madigan has that in historically in his mind. But the question of whether he had pushed her out or whether he wouldn't let her go um, is the one that's hanging out, out there, whether he wouldn't let her go for governor or whether that was her idea. He said, uh, you know, she put out a, a statement in 2014 that just basically said, I'm not going to go for for um governor and i wouldn't do it while we have two family members in the positions that we have two major positions she had had a press conference four years before and it said you know time wasn't right but then um when we finally got around to a reporter catching up with madigan uh mike madigan uh he was asked about that, and 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 what do you think about this? You know, uh, why would she say something like this? And he said, she knew. Mm. She knew that I was not going to mm. leave the speakership. So mm. I think that there was a lot going on there that we may never know about. But And she still, I thought, had a, a shot at coming back. But I think now with Speaker Madigan's yeah. uh, indictment, it'll be a lot harder row. Mm-hmm. That's a good question, Richard. Uh, you must be Ray Long in the few minutes we have left. You're a very self-effacing guy, and I've known you for a long time. But you you have to t- you've got to be pretty proud of this book and the reception it's gotten from your from your peers, from people who know the scene, and not just. I mean, I think this book would be interesting to someone who doesn't know what state they live in. But uh, you are proud, are you? I feel I feel that I took it into a direction that I wanted to take it in, which was an honest look of the ups and downs and the good and bad and the um, the fair and balanced approach of just straight up reporting over the years. Well, that's what's made you a great reporter in this town, and now you're a great author, and you're hooked up with the Society of Midland Authors, and you're, and, uh, and you may, I hope, Ray, I'm not going to even ask you, I hope there's another book in you. I mean, I hope that you know so much about Illinois, you know, you could do a book called Clowns of Illinois, uh, and tell stories. Uh, it's a fantastic book, as Thank I've said you. a number of times, The House That Madigan Built. 
the record run of Illinois' Velvet Hammer, the author, once again, Ray Long. It has a great foreword by Charles Wheeler, and it is a great book. It's worth it for the White Sox story, as Richard <laughs> Reader and I, two critics, have agreed. Uh, Richard Reader will be on uh, in the next hour after some commercial. Anything I, you want to yeah, say, Yeah, I just want to say thank, thanks for having me on here, Rick. Thank you very much. Uh, oh, it's my pleasure. We got it. It was longer than five minutes. Hey, I pride myself on longer interviews. Ray, it, it's it's an it's an honor to know you and a pleasure to read your book.